Hello, LinkedIn. We're live. I'm joined by Oliver Cook, who, um, those of you who don't know, he joined me on the podcast recently. His episode was released on Monday. So if you haven't listened to that, and, um, go and listen to it, and you can find out a lot more about Oliver's journey. But today, what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is... One, get your questions answered. If you're joining us today, let us know what questions you have for Oliver in the comments and we'll we'll get them answered. Um, and some of the things that I've prepared and we're going to sort of talk about is just really have a bit of an open discussion around the challenges that Ollie's seeing in his team today and the common things that he's seeing um, with his team, how he's thinking about leadership remotely, thinking about the USA, the US market election, all these things. Although we're not going to find out. Can you actually vote, Ollie, actually? You're able to vote. I can't I can't vote unfortunately no oh, really? I'm I was going to say we're def- so. definitely not going to find out who you voted for <laughs> no 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 I, I'm, I'm marrying I'm marrying an American and I think after a green card you can get the chance to vote or you might have to be a citizen I should really know really? that by now after eight years in the US but um, <laughs> I can't vote and so yeah I was just an innocent bystander to the to the carnage that happened over yeah. the last few weeks I love that so, well, um, so look, let's let's start. For those that may not know you, um, Ollie, could you just really quickly introduce yourself, and then we'll we'll get into it. We'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a, an MD at Faden International. Uh, been with the company now. This is my tenth year uh, in recruitment, and and with Faden started very much as a as a graduate and, and trainee in London with with zero experience, uh, much like many others in the recruitment industry and. Uh, got the chance to come out to the U.S. after a couple of years in in 2013, and and sort of you know uh, with a handful of others from our business and and lead the build out of our, our U.S. presence. And yeah, since then uh, we've we've grown to around close to 400 people in the U.S. and uh, and six offices. Um, and now I lead a, a couple of those offices across the U.S. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of me. And where you where are you do you live now? Because you recently moved. I'm I'm in Dallas, so I was in New York for six or seven years, and uh, then my role changed. I I basically ran our financial services business across the U.S. and grew that to about 150 people, around 30 million dollars annual revenue. And then uh, I, my role changed across all of our sort of micro specialist brands um, across a number of our offices, and uh, it made sense for me to move to Dallas. And my fiance is from here. Um, so from a personal perspective, it made a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, after seven years in New York, I was ready for a, a bit of a change of pace change, outside yeah. of work. It's 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 an amazing city, but it's pretty intense. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, took took the plunge to move to Dallas a couple of months ago. Love that. So really quickly, like we have to acknowledge just the app, the what's been going on right over in in your neck of the woods. So I guess my before we started this, I guess for for those. Um, joining us they might be thinking like how from a bystander which we are right um like how has what's been going on translated into business from what from what you've seen like what how has that translated into the world of conversations your teams are having with clients candidates give us a bit of context there because i think that'd be interesting for people yeah i i think in any election year it's always uh there's a lot of uncertainty because as everyone will probably know, the last eight, 12 years, it's been very divided in America and whoever's, whatever administration is in power, the policies can be quite different. Um, so certainly we saw it in 2016, everyone was very cautious. 
and very uncertain around their hiring plans and how they're going to grow their businesses because no one knew how policy was going to change if Trump got in. Um, and then this year you add COVID to that, that mix. And it's been, I mean, no one's known what's going to happen in two months, let alone six months or 12 months. So I think it's hard for any business in any industry to kind of really plan uh, their hiring strategy, their, their, their talent strategy. Um, and so it's been the, very much the same this year over the, the course of the year, um, particularly then you add remote working, remote onboarding, all of the, the madness that's gone on. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been an interesting year to say the least. I do think since, you know, in theory, Biden has won, hasn't been fully confirmed yeah. yet or conceded by Trump. He's, he's still kicking and screaming a little bit, it sounds like. But um, I think that we've already seen the last week or two, you know, people feeling a little bit more secure about what the world's going to look like. Um, mm. that they view Biden as a safer pair of hands to navigate COVID and the economic issues and, um, you know, things like that. And so um, I think that what we will see and what, what some of our clients have been saying this week is um, they feel a little bit more secure. Um, I think that was reflected in the funding that Biden got. You know, allegedly he got a lot of the Wall Street money um, in, in the sort of campaign funding process. So I think that says a lot. And, you know, the markets have reacted appropriately this week as well. So, Okay, really interesting. So where, where I want to start, if it's okay with um, you, Ollie, you mentioned there sort of what you've sort of been hearing your clients say and stuff. So like, let's just start by like, what have been sort of in your, in your world and, and through your teams, like what have been sort of some of the, the common challenges that your guys have been coming up against when it comes to client development? Over here in the UK, the conversations I've been having is the real common objections right now and challenges have been, look, Ollie, why would we pay an agency when we can do this direct? There's loads, loads more talent on, on the market. Um, people not obviously been able to sign off budgets or people really trying to do this with their own resource, which is part of that. Um, but I think the main one that keeps coming up in conversations with the recruiters that I speak to and work with is there's loads of talent on the market. We'll do this direct. Why would we pay an agency fee? So I guess what challenges have you been seeing for your team? Yeah, I mean, much of the same. Um, much of the same objections. You get those objections in any economic time, right? We, we, we had the best economic situation potentially we've ever had in the last couple of years in the US, and you'd still get those objections. Um, obviously, they're, they're a lot more prevalent now and a lot more common given the, the, the situation. Um, the, the segment of the market we operate in, that, that kind of mid to senior um, very business critical talent in specialisms where they're underbroked and there isn't a lot of competition. Um, I think we, we've been very deliberate around the markets we've chosen to work in and that has helped us a lot this year. Um, we just ended our financial year last week at the end of October and in the US we're actually going to end up, I hope I don't get in trouble with my CFO of saying this already <laughs> and it's not released, but we're, we're going to end up about 13% up um, okay, wow. on what we did last year, which um, from what I'm hearing from other businesses is is fairly unheard of. Um, and, mm. and there aren't many other firms, particularly our size, uh, that are, are going to post those kind of numbers this year. So I think that that speaks to the, the strength of the model we have, the people we have, the, the culture we have, and then also the um, markets we've chosen. 
to answer your question more directly around client development and how you know my teams are kind of handling those questions i mentioned it on the pod but what we've seen is those clients that you developed and built built relationships with over a number of years that you know that those foul weather clients they're coming back and and being like we only want to work with you on this this is really urgent we need your help um so that has definitely helped um in terms of new business development um I mean, you look at things like VC funding in technology, right? It hit a um, 12 quarter high last quarter. Um, so there still is still, yeah. there's still a lot going on. Like people are still hiring. Like there's still a lot of funding going into technology, fintech, um, hedge funds and banks have actually had some of their best performances ever because of the volatility in the market. Life sciences is booming right now for obvious reasons. Um so, you know, we, uh, we operate in a market such as uh, transportation engineering, for example, which is just like flying in the US right now. And there are way too many jobs and no candidates. So there's, there's, a, there's a ton of markets, if you choose your markets carefully, um, that I think there is opportunity and there's, there's a chance to, to, to place people and, and develop relationships. So if you're sitting there as an accountant, see recruiter you're probably finding it really tough right or or a low-level it recruiter it's probably really really difficult um if you're working at the higher end of the market where it's business critical and the the talent's in in high need then there's still opportunity is it easy no but there's still a lot of opportunity to succeed so, so really quickly, just for like context for everyone, because you mentioned markets and everything like that. Like, can you just like spell out exactly the markets you're operating, just for them people know? Because you mentioned that a few times that, yeah, you. I think, and we mentioned this on the pod that you you guys have been really particular in the in the sort of markets you've identified and, and grown and and become experts in. But like, what other actual sectors are you guys recruiting? Yeah, so we have our, our largest brand is Selby Jennings. That that's the brand I was involved in building for six or seven years in the US. And, and led that um, we have about 150 people in, in that brand in the US and they cover financial services. But within that, it's, it's you know, t- typically the more technical niches. So anything from quantitative analytics, research and trading. So these like PhD level rocket scientists who, you know, work for literally rocket scientists who work for hedge funds and banks um, or um, uh really high-end software engineers that that work for the same types of clients um, on the tech side, um, risk management, uh, legal and compliance, um, portfolio management, and more the investment side of private equity, that type of stuff. Um, so that that's that's kind of really our specialism on, on the financial services side. And as I said, that's our largest business. Um, business where we've seen the most growth this year for obvious reasons is, is life sciences uh, yeah. and pharma. Uh, so that's our brand EPM Scientific. Um, and, um, they're, they're sort of separated into, to sort of three verticals around, um, research and development. And it's really the drug cycle of how you launch a drug, right? So research and development and compliance and control, and then, and then the launch process as well of how you, you actually launch a drug. Um, and then, uh, we have a brand called DSJ global that does supply chain and procurement. Uh, that's probably the brand that was has struggled the most this year just because of supply chain issues and things like that. But in a recession, people want to save money. So procurement does become uh, an important function. Um, 
So, you know, they're, they're still doing okay. And then we also have um, a uh, infrastructure and renewables brand, LVI. Uh, that's our newest brand, but it's our fastest growing brand globally. Um, and so they do really sort of engineering and infrastructure. I mentioned one of the teams we have in Dallas is transportation engineering, which is doing really, really well. Uh, it's basically the people that build highways, roads, the infrastructure that you and I use every day. Um, and uh, that's it. Okay, good. That's good for people to know. So sorry, so, sorry, I, sorry, I've missed one brand there. That's bad. <laughs> as well. That's bad. I, I, I should know that after 10 years. <laughs> so I did see you pause and like, right, did I cover all of them? But yeah, cool. Okay, oh, that, that's just good. And they're sort of cutting edge tech, like cyber... Uh, cybersecurity, data science. Um, like I said, not the low-level stuff. It's more the the sort of got it. Uh, really right. the, the the more niche stuff. So we've got some questions coming through. Let, let's dive into these. That's some good context. Challenges you're seeing. Markets have massively helped. Um, relationships that you've spent a lot of time investing in massively helped. So let let's get some of these questions answered. So I have a question here from um, Tom. I mean, this is quite a broad question, but I'm sure it's a question that a lot of recruiters think about like what would you say maybe the top two or top three differences or different yeah like what are the markets like in the us versus the uk would you say haven't worked in both um yeah we we touched on this on the pod um i think firstly the the recruitment market is less saturated in the us um yeah. and because of that i think that you know there's still low barriers to entry, but the standards tend to be a bit higher. And and I, what I really like about it is you are still, you're, you're respected quite a lot by your clients a little bit more than maybe you are in the UK where you might be seen as, as more of a necessary evil. Um, and and that's certainly something I always appreciated when I came to the US is, is, is getting a little bit more partnership and respect from your clients. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a definite difference. Um, I think, um, again, if you choose the right markets, the fees can be higher. Um, yeah. and just because there's you know less saturation and, and less competition and, and things like that. And, um, um, you know, obviously the culture is slightly different, right. And, and just in terms of like the in-office environment, I think it's recruitment in the UK sometimes has a perception of being a bit of a, bit of a, a sort of boys industry, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's sales, sales, sales and, and, and that type of thing. And don't get me wrong. We, we still push that, that, that the culture in terms of sales in the U S but I do think it's more diverse in the U S in terms of the employees that, that work in the industry. Um, definitely more representation from women, which I think is a great thing. Um, and, um, and that has an impact on the culture as well. So less competition, potential bigger fees, yeah, more of, and this always comes up like um, more sort of instant credibility, but you can still um, make that change. <laughs> and then, yeah, just like, yeah, like you said, in terms of um, like not the typical recruiter um, that makes up a lot of these companies potentially, right? So that's interesting. Yep. Interesting question here I got from um, Liz, who clearly listened to the, the pod or saw the sort of snippet I shared this was around um the self-awareness piece wasn't it Ollie where sort of mm. something that I think you guys are quite famous for is is growing and hiring with graduates or non-experienced talent 
So this is a question where you said that look, one of the main things that I always look for is self-awareness. And instead of asking the typical, what's your main weakness or whatever, it's top five weaknesses and by third, fourth, you're then getting to it. So I guess, yeah, have a look at Liz's question there. What what comes up for you in terms of like, how do you use that to make a hiring decision or what are you, what ultimately what are you looking for when you're asking questions like that? I'm looking for honesty. Uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and like I said on the pod, once you get to, to weakness three or four, you tend to get a really honest answer because they have to kind of think about it. And particularly by number five, um, they they normally sit there and kind of rack their brains. They're like, oh shit, I've got to, you know, be really honest here. Um, and, and so honesty, um, I, I would much rather somebody comes up and is super honest and super open about their weaknesses than tries to hide it or, um, or, or turn it into a strength and sort of those canned answers like, oh, I work too hard or I'm a perfectionist. Um, you know, the, the, (laughs) sometimes people can have a strength to an extreme that can be perceived as a weakness, um, which I don't mind as long as they, they know the difference. Um, but ultimately what I'm looking for is just an awareness of what those are. And then typically my follow-up question to that is, okay, how are you working on those? How are you working to improve on those? Mm -hmm. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in building on your strengths, working on your weaknesses or turning your weaknesses into strengths. How are you, how are you trying to do that with those five? Um, and that's quite an interesting one to ask as well, because have they thought about it? Are they actually working on it? Are they interested in self-improvement and making themselves better or have they just gone? Yeah, these are my weaknesses and that's just me. Um, and so that's a really interesting one. I mentioned it on the pod as well, enthusiasm to learn and, and like this enthusiasm to always be better and get better. Um, that's something that's a massive part of a successful person in generally, let alone in recruitment. Um, so it's a good test of seeing whether somebody has that. Yeah. Like that. So it's, it, you're looking for honesty, you're looking for, and then you can dig into like, okay, well, if you've noticed that, what are you doing to improve and, and these types of things? Um, yeah. Another interesting question here, um, Ollie from Darren. So I guess I think you might, so, so Darren says remote working has changed the recruitment landscape. Are recruitment companies now hiring differently based on the skills behaviors needed when expecting people to work from home? So pr- probably ties in quite nicely with what we're just talking about. We're just talking about internal hiring. So I guess, yeah, like what, how, like, how have you found yourself? I'm sure. Have you still been hiring over the last, have you still been making hires over the last six, 12 months? Um, if so, yeah. Have you maybe picked up on maybe just different, maybe things that you think would give people a better chance of hitting the ground running if they are working more remotely than they typically would? What comes up for you with this question? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it's something that everyone is still working out and it's, yeah. it's a work in progress, right? We're all, I said it on the pod as well, we've all learned a lot this year and uh, we're, we're continuing to do that. Um, I think firstly, we did make some decisions fairly quickly in March when this hit. They didn't have a furlough scheme in the US like they did in the UK. So um, it was more sort of like uh, stimulus checks and things like that, that that went out to people who who were unemployed or, or in need. Um, so those who had been underperforming for sort of six months plus and, you know, we, we going into a remote environment with less support, um, less oversight and, and less help, you know, we, we did sort of have conversation with those people in March and say, look, like, is this really, you know, do, do you want to do this? And, you know, we did make some decisions there, you know, 
we, we, we didn't have to let anyone go, but it was, I think, an important thing we did. And it's, it's a really tough thing to do. But we, we did, you know, do that as part of, of that process. And then when things started picking back up again in the summer and we started sort of optionally coming back into the office, we did um, get back on the hiring train, both in terms of experienced hires and graduates as well. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, we talked about this before we went live. There's not many people hiring graduates right now in, in recruitment yeah, because of these issues. Say, yeah, that's definitely dropped. Yeah, so we, we, we have hired graduates in the last three or four months. Uh, we've hired, we probably onboarded about 70 people in the US across all of our offices, um, across experience and, and grads. I'd, I'd say about 70% of those were grads versus experience. Um, and so um, for us, I think when we were looking at that with the view that we may go into lockdown again, we may be uh, in and out of remote. If we have you know, positive tests for somebody in the office, okay, everyone has to go remote for a few weeks and things like that. Um, so I think hiring grads that have the ability to think independently and won't need to be spoon fed with with everything is is was something we looked at when going through that hiring process for grads particularly um we put together a skills assessment so that within four weeks if we were going to have to go remote for any reason um we would be able to judge is this person going to be able to to do the job day to day um and how much oversight and help will they need from a remote perspective mm-hmm. if if we do go into that situation after they were hired um, and so I, I, I think that was important um, when, when we added those people. I think to, to answer the question as well around, you know, what, what we're expecting to do from people working from home, I think that, um, you know, ultimately you've got to make it really clear what the expectations are, what the standards are, um, mm. what, you, what you look for, for from people on a day-to-day basis. And, treat them as adults. You've got to trust people. Um, and if they're not hitting the numbers or performing or showing clear activity, you, know, you have a conversation and you work out, do they need help? Do they need support? Is it a case where they're, they're, they're not giving it hundred percent? If so, what do we need to get, do to get them there? And then you've got to make quicker decisions as well around if you think somebody, you know, wh- where on that spectrum you think somebody is. Um, and that's something we've we've kept an eye on closely, you know, as as this pandemic has progressed. Yeah, it's definitely there's definitely going to be a bit of there's definitely going to be a learning curve here, isn't there? <laughs> With this. Yes, and um, I think I think you summed that up really quite. I guess the whole yeah, having people that are willing to hold themselves responsible and accountable and, and looking for that in people is g- going to help with this. I guess as we sort of come to the end here, and, and some other questions may may come through, like. We, we mentioned this on, on the podcast. I think if we were to have a conversation, if I think about some of the conversations that I was having um, pre-COVID, there was so many, it seemed like so many recruitment businesses were really motivated to expand in the US because of some of the things that you've highlighted in terms of less competition, in terms of the potential. I could be placing the exact same title in the UK, but do that in America and I could potentially add 30% on, on top of my fee and, and what I typically earn off that. So what I'm asking you is like, how do you see this whole um, period impacting 
the growth in the the US market from a recruitment perspective, from recruiters taking their careers to the US to recruitment business owners continuing maybe their US plans in, in from your perspective, short, medium term, how do you see it being impacted, if at all? I think in the short term, there will be, you know, there may have been firms that had plans to launch or launch offices here that maybe are a bit more hesitant to do so because it's an uncertain environment launching new offices and new businesses and things like that, you know, is, is something people are going to be cautious about. So um, in the short term, you know, it may sort of stop people from, from, from going ahead with it. I think in the medium term, like we, we will get through this. There is really positive news about a vaccine this week. I think as soon as, as that, the, the COVID situation is, is cleared up, it, it's going to pick back up again. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think the, the growth in the recruitment market here will continue and there will continue to be uh, people coming over from Europe and the UK to, to try and take advantage of that. So um, I, I don't see it changing in the medium to long term. Um, you know, who knows? We, we don't really know how, what the world's going to look like in six months, but, you know, you, if, if, if you trust what you read and what you hear, in theory, by the spring, summer, we'll, we'll be out of this, uh, this madness and, and the world can get back to normal a little bit. And I think people will continue growing businesses and, and, and so on from there. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see it changing a huge amount. Yeah. So sort of final thing to ask um, really, uh, Oli, before I let you go, or um, if any questions coming up, we'll get them answered, is um, <laughs> what, what I guess, what's been sort of either one or a couple of things that you really learned during this period that you think is going to stick with you into that time ne- next year or whatever time? But like, what are some of the things that maybe you've had a chance to be like, you know what, I'm definitely going to make sure I continue doing this. I've, I've had so many conversations with people where this opportunity has given them a bit of an opportunity to have a bit of space to think and reflect and these things so I guess always curious to hear about those things and what sort of learnings have you made about yourself professionally personally that you think is going to stick with you in a uh, post-covid world yeah I I mean I'll I'll speak from a personal perspective first and then maybe from more of a a business perspective but I I had somebody say the, the the other day during lockdown, people either got fit, got fat, or got drunk. Um, <laughs> and, and it, and it was, it, I think I started off by getting fat and drunk. And then I sort of was like, that was like month one. And I was like, okay, I, how can we use this time? And it's the first time where we've had a bunch of spare time. There's nothing going on at the weekends. Mm. You know, you have, you're not commuting or traveling into the office. You, you, you went back maybe an hour, two hours every day um, by doing that. And, um, and I, you know, then got massively into running and, and like making the most of the time. And like, I just, uh, yeah. That, so which one was all... you then? I, well, I, as I said, at first I was getting fat and drunk and then, <laughs> um, and then, and then afterwards I, I sort of got my head down. I was like, okay, how can I use this time? And I started running like 20, 25 miles a week and stuff like that. And, and that was a great release in lockdown to, to get out of the house and, and get some fresh air and, and stuff like that, particularly when you're in New York, which is like a, just a concrete jungle and you're stuck in a tiny apartment. Yeah, um, so, so that, that, that was definitely good. And like just making sure that I think 
I, I asked this in an interview, actually, I was like, how did you spend lockdown? Um, mm. Because I think that's a really kind of insightful question of like, okay, did you sit around and watch Netflix for three months? Or did you actually do something useful with the time? Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's definitely something I learned from my side around, like, it's the first time we have time and that's the most valuable thing in the world. And so let's yeah. use it to, to do something positive. So from a personal perspective and, you know, things like spending time with family and, you know, connecting with people from the other side of the world that maybe I haven't spoken to for a few months or a year or two and having more time to do that. Um, so that was really useful from a business perspective. I'd already done a bit of remote management in, in my roles with various offices. It's not really the same when the other end is in the office as well. Um, yeah. And so I think learning um, how to, to, to manage people remotely is, is, is tough. I'm personally like a very visual person when I manage somebody. And I think most people are. You know, you can read body language, you can read yeah. uh, little signs, you can, the tone of voice, facial expressions, you know, things like that, that you just notice in the office where, you know, okay, is that person not feeling great today? Um, or, you know, sh- sh- shall I have a chat with them? Or does that person need a little pick me up? Or does that person need a nudge to, to work a bit harder? And you, you don't get those signals when you're managing a team remotely. Um how do you do that? It's, it's really, really hard. I think regular check-ins and making sure you're spending the time like talking to your team like this on video calls um, and having conversations where you're, you're understanding their mindset and where they're at and where their head is at, particularly during a really stressful time like we've all been through, um, has been a massive learning experience for me. Um, you know, staying structured and sticking to arranged calls and stuff like that, like that means a lot to people when they're remote. If you say you're going to call somebody at 3 p.m. and you miss it by 30 minutes, which I'm also terrible at because my time management is horrendous, um, <laughs> that 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 can make somebody not feel great, right? If they were waiting for your call and you didn't call, okay, you might be busy, but that makes a big difference when you're remote because they can't just give you a wave and go, hey, are we, are we meeting now? Or, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, so that's definitely been a big learning experience for me personally in, in a business setting is is like, how do you motivate and 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 you know understand people in a remote environment like you like you can do in the office? Yeah. So, Oli, look before I let you go, I've had one question come through which I think is a really interesting one that probably a lot of people think, and then I'll let you go if that's okay with you. You've got a couple of minutes, sure. yeah? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this question from um, Elliot Manning. Hi guys, keen to get your opinion on where you see the most up and coming geography, like uh, yeah, geography locations in the US in the future for recruitment companies to be based targets for their growth. Obviously, you might have a bit more context on this being over in the US, but I think that's one of the things that whenever I have these conversations with people is like there is so much for you to potentially go at. Typically, I hear people say, "Right, we're going to focus on this date, or we're going to start at this date, or whatever." But yeah, what what comes up for you there in terms of states that maybe even fading or you guys are keeping an eye on in terms of growth areas? 100%. Um, don't know whether I want to give all this away because people start <laughs> copying us. But um, yeah, we I think what we've done well is um, we, we obviously have the hub in New York. We have around 200 or so people in New York now. And that's that's always been the mothership in the US. And then we've gone and... Um, gone to these regional locations and every time we've done that we've gone deeper into those markets and um being there on the ground has really enabled us to do that and be very focused 
the US is a massive place. It is huge. And arguably, you could do deals in every state in the US. And so I think we've learned that um, places where I see growth, um, I'm obviously here. Yeah, in let's, Texas. Go top three. So, let's go. Let's go. Top, let's wait, go. Let's go. Top three that you'll keep an eye on. Cool. Texas, uh, Florida, and North Carolina. Interesting. I've got. I've just got to ask one more. Go on. <laughs> what? So, or with that, really interesting. Like, what? What is it that you keep an eye on? Just to like context and that, just out of interest. Like, what is it that so, you keep an eye on that makes you? Yeah. So, if you look at the data from even just the pandemic, which is USPS, like US Postal Service data. Um, there's a huge migration of people going on. And, and this was a trend pre-pandemic. So um, people were already moving out of New York, San Francisco, Chicago to lower-cost lo- yeah. okay. to, to lower locations. A lot of companies were moving people there because real estate costs, wages, things like that are less in those locations. Um, so Texas was a, a massive hub for that. And if you look at the data from, from the pandemic, I read an article the other day, Six out of the top 10 counties, as they call it, or sort of areas where people move to in the US in, in the last six months were in Texas, um, which which wow. I think says a lot. And um, there's a huge migration from California to Texas at the moment. Um, places like Dallas, Austin are some of the fastest growing cities in the US. Um, I think no state income tax is a massive plus of, of being in Texas. So, for example, if you live in California, you pay 13 percent more tax than you pay in Texas, mm. just because there's no state income tax versus federal. Um, same with somewhere like Florida, there's no state income tax. So that's a massive draw for people. And the cost of living, if you compare, say, a Dallas versus San Francisco or New York, or let's say, uh, uh, you know, Orlando in Florida or Charlotte, North Carolina to, to the same cities, it's, it's 30, 40% less than, wow. than what you pay to live in those cities. So I think a lot of people in America, um, I've obviously done that move myself, so I'm a bit biased, but um, a lot of people in America are realizing that, and particularly with the advent of remote work and and, and that that trend is only going to continue. People realize, I don't need to live in New York City and pay $5,000 a month to live there. Um, I can can go live in, you know, Boise, Idaho and do the job from there. and, and, And I don't know why people would, I don't know. No offense to Idaho, but I've never, uh, yeah, I've heard that's an <laughs> no, interesting like, get, place. Get things that might yeah. be more of a priority if that's being, a, yeah, like having access to more <laughs> things that isn't just loads of buildings and all. Yeah, like I, I get that. Yeah. I think they obviously... And, 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 and they're, they're also, oh. just to add on that, like they're, they're, they're cool cities as well. Like the culture is yeah. a bit different. Um, so, you know, that that's fun at times, you know, compared to a New York, like Dallas is definitely a very different place um, yeah. in terms of the culture and stuff. But like, um, they're growing cities with like a lot of young people moving here. And, um, yeah. you know, people might have a perception in the UK of say Texas, that it's all cowboy hats and, and horses and stuff like that, but, and, and guns, but it's, it's not the case. It's a pretty like young up and coming cosmopolitan city. Um, obviously the areas outside of Texas are still a bit like that. Um, yeah. but, um, I, I don't think a lot of people know that when they think of the U S is that like actually, yeah. The, these cities in the south and other areas across the US are pretty cool, fun cities to to live in. So yeah, I mean, Joe Rogan has just moved to Texas and moved his whole studio over there. I don't know if you saw that. Everyone <laughs> keeps telling me that they're like, "Oh, did you copy Joe Rogan?" And I'm like, really? Mm, I know. I was... 
Yeah. Uh, love that. Well, um, look, Ollie, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sort of sharing your thoughts and everything. Absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks everyone that, that joined us. And um, yeah, next week we'll be back. If you haven't listened to the podcast of Ollie, definitely check it out. Worth a listen. And um, yeah, just a big thanks. Yeah, thank you as well, mate. I really appreciate the, the chance to be on. And uh, yeah, let's keep in touch.